Welcome to Adelante ATX, a podcast to discuss all things progressive that are moving Austin, Texas forward. I'm your host, Daniela Silva, a young, queer, intersectional environmentalist with an insatiable desire to cultivate positive change in the city I call home. Before we begin, I'd like to take a moment to acknowledge the land we are on. Before colonizers gave this place the name Austin, it was originally home to the Yumanos, Tonkawa, Lipan Apache, Kualtakan, Sana, and Comanche tribes. We are living on stolen land, and there can never be true equity until the land is once again stewarded by indigenous peoples. Because of the diverse, rich, nuanced, and complex subjects we'll be exploring in this podcast, I also want to acknowledge the different privileges I hold as an intersectional being, recognizing that there will always be areas where I can learn and grow. I acknowledge that I benefit from white privilege, economic privilege, educational, cisgender, thin-bodied, pretty privilege, and more I'm sure I will discover along this journey. I state this acknowledgement as a way to hold myself accountable and for others to do so as well if they feel called to. We all have blind spots in our lives, and I hope this podcast will help shed light into the crevices of our hearts and minds. Let's move forward together. Welcome back to another episode of Adelante ATX. I am your host, Daniela Silva, and I am here with Amy Stansberry. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, happy to be here as well. I'm going to do a quick intro. Amy is a local journalist and civic enthusiast with a passion for making government accessible and easy to understand. She is the editor-in-chief of the Austin Common, a local news site that helps Austinites be informed and make a difference. It's also a 2022 Austin Monthly Best of ATX Award winner. Amy is also the host of the Austin Common Radio Hour, a podcast and radio show on 91.7 FM with the same mission. In 2017, she co-authored A Beginner's Guide to Local Government, a coloring book slash zine that teaches Austinites the basics of how local government works and how to get involved. When she's not nerding out over city council meetings, Amy enjoys all things outdoors, rock climbing, biking, backpacking, skiing, and long runs along Ladybird Lake. Welcome the IRL, Amy Poehler, Parks and Rec, Amy Stansberry. <laughs> Happy to be here. <laughs> I said Amy Poehler. What was the name that I met? Leslie Nope. Well, you know, the ass Right. So. <laughs> I saw your name and I thought One Amy the same. <laughs> truly, truly. So every, every episode I like to begin recognizing each other as human beings rather than human doings. So to warm us up, what is your astrological sign? Do you know it? This is like not a thing that I know anything about. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. It's not everybody's cup of tea. Um, do you, what's your, what's your birthday? It's June 30th. June 30th. Oh, so you're a cancer. I just know that off the top mm. of my head. Fortunately. <laughs> <laughs> um, so cancers tend to be really kind of emotional, easy criers, very in touch with their more, um, creative side, uh, very kind of soft and adaptable. Does any of that feel like it describes you? In your personality? Not at all. Not <laughs> <laughs> you are the enigma cancer. <laughs> the I bet your your big three is probably very strong in other other signs. Maybe you have some like fire or air or earth signs. Yeah, I like rest. know nothing about any of them. <laughs> I yeah. always hear people talking about it. One of these days, maybe I'll have to take a quiz. But <laughs> yeah, I think it's fun. Um, you can find so many. I'm trying to think of. I can't, I don't know, good ones off the top of my head. I What I do know more of when it comes to quiz is like human design mm-hmm. and Ayurvedic dosha profiles, which is this Indian form of medicine. And they they kind of all ask your birthday and birthplace. Mm-hmm. So 
they're kind of related to astrology. But do you know your human design or Myers-Briggs or anything like that? Nothing at all. No. <laughs> We're going to have to uh, send you a test. Yeah. So you can, you can find these things out for yourself. I like to think of them as people hacks. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, this is kind of how I operate. And if you would like to most efficiently communicate with me or mm-hmm. uh, know what makes me mad or know what makes me happy... Here's just kind of a cheat sheet. Just leave that in your email signature. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, my love language is acts of service, right. and I'm an INTJ. <laughs> Do with that information what you will. <laughs> but yeah, you, you you kick it old school. You like to let people just get to know you yeah. <laughs> the old-fashioned way, analog style. I love it. Tell me about your cultural background. You can share family, community, upbringing, whatever comes up to you when you hear cultural background yeah I am I'm originally from New Jersey I grew up in South Jersey outside of Philadelphia um, and lived there most of my life before moving here to Austin about 10 years ago Um, so don't have strong roots in the Texas area (laughs) but have chosen Austin as my home and uh, enjoyed living here for the past 10 years or so you know we we kind of picked Austin out of the blue and moved down here to Texas and really fell in love with it right away and so um, I, I always say you know it's like Austin's one of the few places I've chosen to live mm, <laughs> so true mm-hmm. so true what brought y'all here um, my husband works in tech like many um. <laughs> these days and so um, he started working at IBM okay and, uh, that's what brought us that's what brought us here originally and and we were kind of like I think so many it's such a boring story to know it's like you know he was offered a job either in California or in Texas and we were going to go to California and but then we visited Austin Mm. and um, I fell in love with it right away because of its natural resources Mm -hmm. and you know as a community there seemed like a strong environmental ethos which is super important to me and like what the heck I guess we'll move to Texas <laughs> and here you are 10 years later yeah, I haven't looked back so do y'all do y'all ever visit California you know like it's not that high on my list <laughs> anymore we really like the Pacific Northwest mm-hmm. um, I have a lot my dad is um, one of six brothers and it's like a, a, wow. a big family and they all live in the small town in Oregon and so we go there often oh, cool. and enjoy hiking and and nature and escaping the heat there in the summertime but don't even hardly go to California. I've only really been there like once in my whole life, so. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I think you made the right choice. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What is something you are reading, watching, or listening to right now that you can't stop talking about or binging? Hmm. Let's see. Uh, I'll, I'll pick two things, I guess. Reading on a more intellectual level is I'm reading uh, Gardens of Democracy. Mm. Um, it's a small book, but it is a lot about kind of the fundamentals of our democratic system and what we can be doing. You know, it uses like a little bit of too much of a metaphor around gardening. Okay. But <laughs> no such thing. <laughs> but um, it really talks about the ways that we as like residents of our communities have thinking of democracy as something that has to be stewarded and Mm. that requires people to be engaged with it and you know is just starting to investigate a little bit more ways that we can look at ourselves in the community and and one thing I really like about it it points out is this idea of acting like everything that you do and like the way you behave in the world could be the way everyone in your community behaves Mm. and like that could be overwhelming I suppose but (laughs) I like to think of it like this idea that you know if you pick up one thing of trash right or if you help your neighbor like everyone in your community might do that and often that does kind of happen Um, and so like what you do matters and Mm -hmm. especially in in your neighborhood or what have you so that's been that's been my reading that I've been yeah, doing lately. Awesome. And then watching, definitely don't watch as impressive sounding of things, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, what have I been watching? I just started watching the um, the new Amy Schumer uh, show on Hulu, Life and Beth. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
It's pretty good. It's been coming up recommended to yeah. me on Hulu, but I have not yet committed to watching it. What, what's it about? What's kind of the plot so, that, that you've seen so far? Yeah, it's like she's a wine salesman mm-hmm. or something like okay. that. And is about 40 and, you know, her whole life kind of falls apart in a lot of ways. And Classic then Amy Schumer. moves out to Long Island. <laughs> it's very Amy Schumer. Oh. It feels semi-autobiographical in some <laughs> ways, but, you know, she's entertaining. I, I always enjoy, you know, something, yeah. you know, fun and snarky kind of, yeah. <laughs> just her comedy. What was the movie she made that was like an anti-romance? Yeah, I type. Feel Pretty maybe what or something. She played one where... It was like she saw herself. Wait, I think she gets hit in the head and oh. she sees herself as as hot. She doesn't change. She's the same. Right. She is an attractive woman. Yes. <laughs> but it's like you know she has all these things on her, like the society puts on mm. us. And then one day she hits her head and she's like confident and thinks that she actually has changed, but nothing has. She right. Just, it's like the opposite of shallow hell. Yes, I think that's what it's supposed <laughs> okay. to be. I think it's like a spoof of that. Got it. I kind of want to watch it now. Yeah, it's, you know, I watched it on a plane once. It's not going to blow your mind, but it's pretty good. I love plane movies because they always have kind of the big box, very popular movies yeah. that I just never got around to. Co- mm-hmm. Because I just, I love the movie theaters, but I never go mm-hmm. anymore. And I'll, I'll see previews for a movie and say oh I really want to watch that and then I just never get around to it but when I'm on a plane especially a plane that's like 15 hours or something I'm gonna catch up on (laughs) those movies so that's a for me a very effective use of time yeah I I I watched a star is born on a flight a really long flight once and I guess I'm an idiot who didn't know what that movie was about (laughs) even though it's like the fourth time it's been remade and I was just sitting there bawling my eyes out (laughs) Which I don't do right. in movies. And then I was like, oh my god, this is so embarrassing. I'm sitting here on this plane. They shouldn't even allow this to be screened. That's what I think. <laughs> there are lots of movies that I've watched and I'm just like trying to quietly weep. <laughs> like, who <laughs> Not wants this? <laughs> People like us, I guess. <laughs> What's one thing about yourself that few people know or that often surprises others when they find out? Hmm... I'll say a, a small uh, shame-like quirk is that I have a deep addiction to candy and eat a lot of it for an adult woman. Okay. <laughs> I'm here for it. I am definitely part of the sweet tooth gang. Yeah. It's, it's a like problem. a real problem. I, during during um, Halloween in October, I set a rule for myself <sighs> with candy corn. I like candy corn, which I know no one likes, but I like it. But I set a rule for myself that I can only buy it for like two weeks around Halloween and I cannot buy a bag before and I can't buy a bag after. (laughs) Otherwise, I feel like my teeth will fall out. (laughs) Yeah. What is a favorite candy of yours? Like, what is the most common thing that you eat? Or, yeah, favorite or most common. So many. Yeah. Uh, Probably my most common is Swedish Fish. Okay. Oh, I love a good Swedish Fish. It's my standard. I'm a big fan of gummies. Mm -hmm. They have some low sugar kind of natural versions of gummy candies at Wheatsville Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've had them they come in like small packages and they're made with like all natural juices Mm. and they make me feel a little bit better about eating there and you have an excuse (laughs) they're like organic and all the things it is a fruit snack (laughs) actually okay you are the editor-in-chief of the Austin Common very cool can you talk about what it is Yeah, so we're a local community-based news source here in town and civic education organization. And really, a lot of what we try and do is make local government more accessible for people. And we do that by explaining the news, especially local news, so what city council is doing, what our county commissioner's court is up to, that kind of thing and then explaining how people can get more involved in that process. So it's really about explaining it and then providing clear steps for action or, or ways to get more engaged. And um, we do that in a lot of different ways. A big component of it is social media. Mm-hmm. So we try and, you know, most of us, we don't have time to, well, there's bare heart, barely a newspaper to pick up anyway physically, but we don't have time to read a whole newspaper every day and stay engaged in that way and especially local news is something that is easy 
to be the thing that drops off your list quickest. And so, you know, people still spend time on social media, totally fine. We all need our release. We need that mindless scrolling. But our thought is if we can interject a little bit of that with some information about what your city council is up to today, that makes it easier for people to just start to consume that and step by step learn more about what's happening in their local community. So a lot of our work is very Instagram heavy. It's illustrated and obviously we we publish things on our website and we have a podcast and stuff too but the whole idea is really leading a bit with that visual style so it's easier for people to learn very cool i am personally a big fan of the instagram i love every time y'all do the recaps the illustrations that you use they really help visualize what the the item is about and i'm always sharing them on my stories and i want you to know that i constantly have people dm me and say thank you so much for sharing this. I had no idea what was going on. And now I, you know, I'm, I feel more informed. They'll go onto your website. They'll like ask different ways to get involved. And so every time I do that, I'm like Austin Common. I, I feel like the Austin Common probably gets some of the most engagement whenever I post, like the most frequent engagement is y'all stuff. That's awesome. I'm so, I'm so glad you so hear you know that. that. <laughs> and, and that's the idea, right? It's, that's the language so much of us are using. It's really easy to reshare and, and let other people know about it. And what I find is people are hungry for this information, mm-hmm. right? We, we want to learn, we want to know what's happening with our community, but it's difficult. The city's mm-hmm. website isn't super easy to use. If you have no contextual background as to what they've been working on before or how this works, it can be complicated to understand. And it's all about trying to figure out ways that especially we can connect socially, Mm -hmm. right? I'm a big proponent of civic engagement is best done with friends, right? Mm -hmm. You want your friend to share something with you and then both of you maybe decide, hey, let's go to that council meeting together or let's volunteer together because that's something you can sustain. If, If it's something where you have to constantly say, oh, I can't do that fun thing with my friends because I'm going to go do this boring civic duty instead. That's never going to last. It needs to be something that is engaging and you do to build community as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love it. It's very unique. I don't feel like I have seen anything like that really. And when you read kind of proposed agenda items and resolutions, the language can also be a really big barrier. It's very jargony and technical. And if you don't have experience reading that kind of verbiage or have a law degree, it's like, what is this even saying? Like, what does this mean? Yeah, it's insane. If, if you've ever read through a city resolution or ordinance, they use this word whereas all the time. Mm-hmm. Which, Human beings simply do not use that word. Whereas. And they use it a zillion times yep. in the documents. Whereas this, whereas that, it's how they kind of present the information or their reasoning for why they're gonna pass this thing. But it's insane and it doesn't make any sense. And, and oftentimes if you look at a city council agenda, there might be a hundred items on it. It's just really hard to filter and understand, hey, I'm someone who cares about climate change or women's rights or whatever it might be to be able to even find that or understand what's important in that long agenda. So that's a big part of what we try and do today. We're recording on a Thursday. I was working on that all this morning. City Council meets on Thursdays and trying to pull some of those pieces together as well. And um, it takes time. Like it's it's difficult to put all those pieces together. And so hopefully we can do some of that work to make it easier for people to understand and quickly contact their council member or just be informed about it, you know, whatever feels right. Yeah. Speaking of today's meeting, what what is kind of your process of creating the content? So take today, for example, from the morning until now, what have you been doing? What is that going to then turn into for the Austin Common? Yeah. So if we use a city council meeting as a, an example. Um, a lot of times the mayor's office they actually have a call for media on wednesdays where um, you call in and their city staff runs down a few of the few key points they feel like they're going to be addressing so i tune in and listen to that city council also has work sessions on tuesdays where they kind of prep for a city council Mm. meeting so sometimes i might listen in on that meeting as well they can be quite long but luckily everything is live streamed so you can kind of have it on in the background as you're doing other work as well Um, to get an idea of what's going to be happening and then 
all go through that list and um, pick out what are the biggest items, the ones that might garner the most controversy mm-hmm. or the ones that seem the most interesting to the community. A lot of what council does at these meetings isn't that interesting. It's just improving basic contracts and kind of boring government work, but a lot of it is things that might be more valuable. Like today, city council accepted um, a bunch of money in federal grant funds in order to improve a uh, equitable access to technology program with Austin Public Library. So now the Austin Public Library is going to be able to loan people laptops that they can actually take home with them instead of just Whoa. using them. Yeah, so that's a cool program. Not controversial, obviously. Right. <laughs> um, but a cool one that I feel like a lot of people wouldn't even know their government was doing mm-hmm. if we didn't share it out. So um, basically then go through and pick the ones and have to condense it to fit on a small Instagram slide, which is always the the challenge. Yeah. But it is a matter of, of looking through it and taking out, like you mentioned, all the jargony language explaining what something is what is a bond what is a you know what are all these words that we use all the time so that someone could quickly scroll through and and gain a deeper understanding of what their government is doing this week amazing this feels like such a such a niche thing to do is this your your full-time job is this your day job yeah this is my day job okay but it's definitely something that i've willed into existence over the years. How so? <laughs> um, so when I first moved to Austin, my background is in journalism. I um, have a journalism degree and um, worked at a traditional newspaper as my first job out of college. And in that job, I was a city hall reporter. Mm-hmm. It was at a small town in Pennsylvania. And that was kind of the first time I got to see how local government works up close and personal. And a lot of times I would be at city council meetings and I would be the only person in attendance at the meeting. And it just, I mean, it was a small town, but it started to feel ridiculous. Mm. Like, are we performing democracy or is this actually democracy? Because it's like, (laughs) you know what I mean? Because it's just city council performing for the media and then I write about it, but nobody's there. No real humans are there. (laughs) It's not part of their job. And so... That was like a real moment for me to understand, okay, this is a problem. A lot of people don't know what's happening here. And then if people did show up to a council meeting, often there were people who had like the time and resources to do so. And they would usually get what they wanted because nobody else was there, right? And so that was a big, I think, learning moment. And then when I moved to Austin, it's on a larger scale. Mm -hmm. So it's rare that you would have a council meeting that literally no one would be at, Mm -hmm. but comparatively, no one is at them, right? Right. When you think about the size of our city and there are similar problems. And so ever since I've lived here, that's been kind of a driving mission of how can we figure out a way to do this better? How can we make this more accessible to more people? And so um, when I first was living here, I, Uh, worked at the Austin Eco Network, which is an environmental news site um, started by another woman in town who's lived in Austin uh, pretty much her whole life, Brandy Clark Burton. And I met her and we did a bunch of projects together. And it was just this long progress process working on environmental news. And finally, about three or four years ago, the two of us sat down and I said, I have this other idea. <laughs> you know, I, we've been really wanting to figure out how we could do civic education better and expand it and had started to feel for a while that we were, a lot of our environmental reporting was just serving people who are already environmentalists. Right. And and is that the best use of our time? And so we worked together to figure out, can we do something different? I sort of relaunched as the Austin Common right when the pandemic hit, actually, in March oh, of 2020. okay. Yeah. And the idea was, you know, we still cover some environmental issues. We haven't just thrown that to the wayside, but really trying to figure out how could we reshape this to be this thing I'd been cooking up in my head for a while around being more social media friendly and figuring out how to connect people to these seats of power that I was watching happen all the time with such frustration. Like, why is nobody in this building? Mm-hmm. Why do more people don't know about it? Or they know about it after and it's too late to change the policy, right. which happens a lot in Austin. Mm. You know, how can we get more residents involved earlier on and be aware of what their city is working on, on a whole range of issues, you know, including sustainability, but also a lot of social justice issues and transportation and all these things, you know. I have so many questions now. (laughs) 
firstly, how do the city council meetings or city council operations of a big city like Austin mm-hmm. compare to that of the small town in Pennsylvania where you first started? I mean, they're similar in a lot of ways. Different states do do things differently, so there's some logistical differences there. But um, And there's different technical things if you have a strong mayor system or a weak mayor system. But really, on a whole, they're very similar. Mm-hmm. You still have this process of some advisory body being in charge. At the city level here in Austin, the big difference is just that our city council are doing this full time mm. and that they have a lot of money and things to do with. You know, yeah. the city of Austin has, I think, a $4 billion budget. Mm-hmm. That would be a really large company if you were managing that, right? Like, there's a lot to, to work through, and you're talking about major departments, a huge international airport, mm-hmm. uh, an electric utility that's providing electricity for a million people, a water utility that's hopefully providing clean drinking yeah. water for a million people, right? And um, picking up trash and recycling, all of these services, it's, it's huge. There's a, a ton that needs to go into it. And city council is not in charge of direct management of right. all of that, but they're setting the high-level policy uh, for all of it. And so in a city like Austin, just all these th- issues are more complicated. There's so many more constituencies mm-hmm. and a more diverse array of constituencies that uh, have an issue. But one thing I, I do like to share, because sometimes people follow us on Instagram and say, oh, is there one of these in my community? And oh. I wish we could be <laughs> everywhere. But I do think the lessons learned can be applied in most places, mm-hmm. even if the specifics are a little different, like the fundamentals of how these local governments works. It, it's the same in a lot of areas. Very cool. I always imagine small town city councils to be very much like Pawnee, Indiana. And there's this very very elder person who's just been around forever and is prohibiting a lot of change and folks show up when they're angry and that's the only time that they show up and but the only experience that I have with the city council I used to live in Galveston for about a year and a half and I would go to some of their meetings but I had no idea what was going on so uh, and I was also in college and i didn't attend more than a few so it's mainly just austin city Mm -hmm. council so i was curious if there were any like really big logistical or systemic or systematic differences between big and yeah i mean you definitely get that i I still remember one council meeting that dragged on for hours it was basically about if someone could paint the color like change the color of their house that was here or there it was there okay it was in gettysburg pennsylvania so (sighs) everything is historical yeah so there's a lot of rules a lot of neighbor arguments about you know if you want to make a very minor change Mm -hmm. to the exterior of your home and another big debate they had a lot was uh there were ghost tours that operated in Mm -hmm. town and oh, that was like tore the town apart. Some people hated those ghost tours and they felt like it was disrespectful and too like kitschy and cheap. And then other people were like, hey, it's providing jobs and people like it and whatever. Oh my God, I love ghost tours. Yeah. So it was such a funny, it was, that reminded me of something that would be on Parks and Rec. It felt it was a very silly debate because the people who lived in town... Gettysburg's a weird place. There's a lot of professors and people who move there to just study the Civil War. Mm-hmm. So they're very intellectual and serious. And then there's a lot of other people that just run weird t-shirt shops and ghost stores. <laughs> and like, you know, you can do metal detecting and look for little musket balls, like that kind of stuff. <laughs> like that maybe a family vacation might go on in Pennsylvania. <laughs> that sounds so fun. Yeah. I kind of want to visit now. Yeah. <laughs> think is really and and that's what I think is really charming about local Mm -hmm. government though and and you see that in Austin too those issues do come up they don't tend to get a ton of news coverage because they're not the juiciest thing we're dealing with bigger issues as well but there are still people like that and concerns that come up and I do like it because people care right? right like it would be worse if no one cared and of course we still have this issue of people coming in to government and there's not enough involvement but when you do have a passionate debate, it's like, okay, at least people care about their community mm-hmm. and want it to be good. <laughs> and yeah. they, they want it to thrive. And I think people have a really vested interest in where they live. That can sometimes lead to contentiousness, but 
it's nice that people are, are passionate about it. And even if it seems silly sometimes and you roll your eyes, wonder why are we having this conversation for an hour? <laughs> like it is nice that we get to have it. Yeah. yeah. It's democracy at work. Yeah. That's, that's the beauty of it. And the same thing with, I, I do a lot of talks around town, around civic engagement and trying to encourage people to get involved. And I always show clips of funny citizen communication clips. That's what the city calls it when the public's allowed to come and mm-hmm. speak. And there's a ton of those. And I, I always like to show those to people <laughs> to get, you know, get your nerves down and relax. Like that's the beauty of it. It's messy and chaotic. And some people sing and dance and wear costumes <laughs> or say like totally irrelevant things. And after each one, Mayor Adler's just like, okay, thank you for your thank comment, you even time. if it's so <laughs> wild. <laughs> and that's kind of the beauty of it, too, I think. Yeah, they can be really fun. Yeah. You've also done a lot of work in environmentalism. Mm-hmm. Uh, would you consider yourself an environmentalist? Yeah, I mean, I, I think this is a word that has got so many connotations to it at this point. And for a while, I, I didn't like to use it. I still don't love to use it. I think it it feels like pretty divisive a lot mm. of times, and you're like, I don't know. When people hear that you did anything around the environment, they think you're this like very aggressive, like recycling meanie who's gonna come after them if they put the thing in the wrong bin, and and also like the whole environmental movement hasn't been as like inclusive and diverse as as we all want it to be, and. Mm. But I've been super encouraged by, I feel like in Austin, there's been a ton of positive action in this direction. And we, our city has a long history of really great environmental organizations like Poder and um, environmental justice leaders that are sharing their work. And there's a whole new generation of folks that I think are really demanding that now out of all the work that Austin's been doing. And our city's Office of Sustainability has come a huge way Mm. from where they were in their work even five or 10 years ago, they have a lot of younger folks on their staff that are leading that charge and in a really great way. And nothing with the city is ever perfect. I always like to be clear on that, but like strides are being made, I think, to build a more representative environmental movement in Austin, which is cool to see. Even since I've been here, like first moved here 10 years ago, I can see a lot of change. Amazing. I within the past few years have learned about the term environmental justice. Mm -hmm. And to me, hearing and learning about environmental justice felt like coming home. It felt like exhaling because I, I have been, you know, what people would consider an environmentalist since I was a young kid. But I think I had a very similar kind of hesitation or resistance to being like, yes, I'm an environmentalist because to me, it feels like if I say I'm an environmentalist and people think I don't care about humans mm-hmm. or they think I don't care about any other topic other than like save the trees and like right. protect the whales, which when I was 10, I was like, <laughs> save the whales, you know, like PETA is what got me into activism. Mm-hmm. They got me really young. Thank you, Internet. <laughs> and I felt really hesitant to say like, yes, I give a damn about the environment. I'm an environmentalist. And being able to say I am an advocate and activist and proponent of environmental justice because protecting the environment is it's like the one thing that's for everyone Mm -hmm. like literally it's for every single human and environmental justice is racial justice because as everybody knows who works in environmentalism the people who are most affected by climate change are the marginalized communities, which tend to be black and brown communities, not only in Austin, but around the world. So really, it's vital for us to be doing environmental work to begin trying to stop climate change and even reversing it for the well-being of all communities around the world. So I don't know if you have felt that similar feeling of like, well, I don't want to identify as an environmentalist because then people think I don't care about anything else other than planet yeah and I mean uh, even I kind of felt that for a little while I mean I've always been interested in the environment similar to like when I was a kid I'm a super outdoorsy person that's what I like to do in my free time so that is you know parkland and access and all that is super important to me but 
I got really interested in environmental issues around climate, mm. like I think a whole lot of other people uh, who are, you know, around our age, where it's like there literally is no issue that's more important. Right. Um, you know, we cannot do anything else if we don't have a place to live. Right. But, and I was so interested and passionate about it, and that was my main focus for a while. Um, and, and then when I went to school in, in Philadelphia, I think that that's what first brought my eyes to light a bit about environmental justice issues. I was raised in the suburbs. You know, we had like a very traditional neighborhood. It's like, and house is like a little yard, etc. We had a grocery store, access to all these things. And then when I moved to Philadelphia, could really see for the first time, wow, a lot of people here don't have access to recycling or trash services. Mm-hmm. There's no grocery store. There's no garden. There's no parkland. There's barely a tree. It's like so egregious. And for, you know, little naive me, like white girl in the city, I was like, oh, it was like a moment to see. And and that made me, I think, a lot more interested in the whole thing because for a while, it, environmentalism did kind of feel... It, it, it couldn't excite me that much because we weren't solving so many of our other issues. It's right. like, I don't want to be pigeonholed into like advocating for parks forever. Yeah. I mean, that's important, mm-hmm. but it doesn't feel, it feels really hard to push for that when you see people suffering yeah. as deeply as they are to be like, what about that parkland? It's like, well, and so being, having the language to be able to merge those together has been great and I, I think there's so many activists out there that are doing such a good job making people aware of that and uh, really trying to change the environmental community to include to include that more, I think, diverse perspective. And it, it is more energizing. I think it allows more people to be interested in the movement and that it's not just about recycling, which right. I feel like is what people tend to think of first. Yes, very true. How does environmentalism show up in your daily life and do you see an intersection between it and civic engagement yeah i th- i think it's huge i mean originally i think one of the things that got me interested in civic engagement was this thought that especially when i was younger you know like a teenager in my early 20s cli- how is everyone not focused on climate change mm. and we're not focused on it and it seems like the big issue that we're not, why we're not focused on it is because young people aren't involved in our political process. And there's a lot of data that shows this, right? The eight, you know, the age of voters and what they care about and all these issues. And that felt like a big barrier mm-hmm. um, for me at that time as well. Maybe we're not taking an action on climate because there's no outlet for people under the age of 40 to be engaged in politics. And we're the ones that this is a, a big issue for. So I think they really, they really do intersect and you know the public has so many interesting ideas around climate it's one of those things I I always like to share as an example because it feels like the most global issue Mm. there could be and there's this tendency to feel like that's something Congress needs to do or Mm -hmm. the president does they should do something but they're not and but there's a ton that can be done by cities right and a ton that can be done by local communities and uh, I always like to share this stat that in Austin, um, it, it's a few years old now, but at some point or other, Austin was responsible for 40% of all the solar energy installed in the entire state of Texas. Wow. Which is huge. And that is something that really is attributable to maybe a hundred people who are hardcore eco folks in Austin that attended city council meetings and advocated and pushed and pushed and said, hey, because we own our own electric utility here in Austin, which is a really huge gift. And uh, they were able to say, city council, since you're in charge of our electric utility, tell them to buy solar energy, yeah. tell them to invest in renewables. And, you know, Austin is a huge mega leader, you know, leader in this. And we're on track to be a carbon-free utility in not that many years from now. And that's huge. Hardly any cities are doing that. Hardly any cities in Texas are Mm. doing that. And that's something that is because of people, regular people in Austin that advocated for it. And it's so cool. And that's an impact that's happening on climate change. And people can be doing that in cities 
all over America advocating for these issues and making a real change. So, Speaking of utilities, is there anything you would like to speak on when it comes to the Fayette Fayette coal plant? Yeah, so this is um, an issue that environmental activists have been working on for a really long time here in Austin. Um, It's a good example of an environmental justice issue coal plants always are because not only are they terrible for climate, but they're terrible for localized air pollution. Um, Our power plant, um, Fayette is our city's only coal-fired power plant remaining. It's also not in the city, so it's very Mm -hmm. easy for us to ignore it because it doesn't really impact Austinites. Um, But there's a lot of farmers out there who say that their land has been impacted negatively Mm. and other more rural communities that are being heavily impacted by that plant. Um, And there's a lot of nonprofits and activists who have been working for so long to try and get it closed. What's a huge bummer is it seems to be right now tied up in like a bureaucratic mess that it's unclear Um, Activists are certainly working on it, and my hope is that we'll learn more soon, but I don't know that much either because the the city isn't revealing it because it's under negotiations. It's I I don't know if to go into the weeds on it so confusingly, but we don't own the Fayette coal power plant outright. We share it with LCRA, which is the Lower Colorado River Authority. It's a state agency. Mm -hmm. It is run by the state. I think it's um, board is appointed by the governor. And they are not very pleased. (laughs) They're not very pleased that Austin wants to leave. And Austin, I think to its credit, has said, we don't want to just leave and have the plant be taken over. We want to shut our portion down. And that's been the problem. And it seems like negotiations have, Austin Energy just kind of put out a press release and said, negotiations have failed. We can't do it this year. And activists were like, hey, no way. You promised us you were going to do it this year. What's going on? We don't know yet, but I know that there's a lot of activists like Sunrise ATX and the mm-hmm. Sierra Club and Public Citizen that are pushing and doing a lot of work behind the scenes to try and put pressure on our city council, to put pressure on us in energy, yeah. to say what went wrong in those negotiations and keep needling it. So mm-hmm. um, I don't think all hope is lost there. I'm, yeah. I'm hopeful that we'll learn more soon. It's like there are rules around when the city does negotiations, they don't have to tell the public about everything. Mm-hmm. So we don't know everything, but hopefully we will soon. And there are like a lot of good people who are pushing on it. And if it's something you're interested in, there are lots of groups that you can join to help that effort. Like Sunrise ATX and Sierra Club are doing a lot of the work there. 350 Austin is another one that has been doing a lot of advocacy in that area because we cannot reach our climate goals if we still have that yet. Like, right. That's just the bottom line. So. Um, hopefully we can figure out a way to to close it. But it was something that city council and Austin Energy were aligned with at some point. But there's an, like this weird bureaucratic issue. Yeah, it's such a a weight on our on our carbon footprint. I think it's eighty percent of the utility's entire carbon output. Yeah, and then I've like twenty four percent of the city's overall carbon output is just from Fayette. Yeah, I mean, at this point, we have very few carbon-generating resources on our like balance sheet. We yeah. really aren't operating that many anymore. We've done a good job of transitioning uh, pretty fully, and we still have um, part of a nuclear coal power plant that we... Um, not nuclear coal, a nuclear power plant that we get our energy from as well. Um, but, yeah, it's just impossible to reach our climate goals without it. Right. So... It's, it's certainly become the big topic of conversation, which is a bummer a bit because energy is an area we have buttoned up, I would say. Mm-hmm. Like if you're someone who wants to get more involved in climate action in Austin, if it weren't for this Fayette issue, you wouldn't really need to be involved in energy because we have a plan and it's being enacted. We've been meeting all of our targets consecutively earlier and earlier and earlier. Mm. There's a big group of activists that like that, that is something that is moving forward along so well, which is awesome. And now the big issue is transportation, mm. but we need to get Fayette figured out. Yeah. So that's kind of become a hiccup in that plan. It's a big issue, but if you're someone that cares about this, thinking about transportation, that's kind of our next big bucket. When we look at where carbon emissions are, we got to (laughs) tackle some kind of uh, transportation 
issue, which there's a whole lot of them, but it's all about either electrifying the vehicles we have or getting people out of vehicles at all. So, and we're working on both, yeah. but we're not anywhere near, we're not doing nearly as well there as we're doing on energy. Um, but it is a big issue. It's one of those things, what I do like about transportation, and a lot of climate activists talk about this, is making sure there are additional benefits to any um, climate action we do. And so when it comes to transportation, if we can provide a really great, you know, equitable and accessible public transit network that also is carbon free. Now we've done a lot of things for our city, right? Yes. We haven't just fixed an environmental problem. We fixed a traffic problem. We mm-hmm. fixed, you know, uh, just an equity issue because we don't have a great bus system right now either. So we could provide a lot of benefits if we could figure out how to do that well. Yeah. We have all those electric buses now. We have a which lot. Which is very exciting. It's like the largest purchase of electric bus fleet in the U.S., Yeah, right? we're, we're doing super well. Um, I, I saw some article, oh, I can't remember if it was L.A. or New York. I think it was New York. And they were excited about getting five electric buses. And I was like, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> Isn't that cute? Because we have a Eat ton. our cake, New Yeah, York. <laughs> we've been doing a really good job. And our electric bus fleet is going to be fully electri- electrified um, fairly soon as well. So that's an area we're doing really well on. The tricky part is going to be building our public transit network, mm. which is happening. We approved a bond for it. But that is another area that requires a good deal of community stewardship it's going to be you know eight years before that project is fully operational it takes a ton of time and in the meantime there's a lot of important decisions that'll have to be made that the community can definitely get involved with where our station's going to be Um, there's a big pot of anti-displacement funding that the city has to decide how to spend in order to try and make sure that as those transit lines go in it doesn't raise property value so much that people get pushed out there's a ton of opportunity for the public to make sure those funds are being spent the mm-hmm. way um, I think a lot of us are envisioning that they get spent. And so if that's an area that's of interest to you, I would definitely recommend that's like, that's where that that's the hot area to be right now. Right. That's where you can make a lot of impact is getting involved in a lot of these project connect community engagement sessions and, and things like that. And there are a lot of organizations that are working on those issues. I know the Austin Justice Coalition has been mm-hmm. fairly engaged and um, Puma, which I can't remember what they stand for, People United, Mobility Action yeah. maybe. Yeah. So That's the one. Mm-hmm. Yes. I think you can also Google EOTD, which stands for Equity Oriented Transit Development. So if you Google EOTD Austin, that should also come up with more resources on how to be involved. I've been in several of those work sessions where it's this exact thing, just giving input on how to make this more equitable to make sure that it is something that everyone can and wants to use. Because right now I'm a frequent bus taker and the population of the people who ride the bus tend to be a lot of uh, working class folks, um, people from lower socioeconomic uh, you know, classes or whatever you want to call it, folks who are unhoused. And once you bake the, create this big fancy transit system you want to make sure that the folks who have been using public transit still feel comfortable and welcome and can afford to take those new public transit so lots of equity centered issues with uh with transit and hopefully we are able to make those equity goals come true Mm -hmm. and reach them and you know those things happen because people demand that they happen right that's just the way the process works and uh the pro- <laughs> there's a lot more that needs to be done, but because, like I've seen it directly, we weren't having any conversations about equity in our transit system, mm-hmm. you know, even a few years ago, not in the way that we are now. Right. And it's because people said, do this, you mm-hmm. have to do this. And they mm-hmm. came to mm-hmm. meetings and people organized and demanded it of their elected officials and elected people who would put that at their core. So. It, feel, it can feel slow sometimes. Yeah. Like I understand dealing with government is frustrating, but we are making a lot of progress, even though it doesn't always feel that way. And that's what right. I try and remind myself too. And what I do like about local government, because the federal government feels so distant, mm. so far away, it's hard to track progress. Mm-hmm. But you can see things that happen in your own neighborhood and 
you can do things that give you that feeling like, okay, we are, we are, something is changing here. Um, not always at the speed we want, but you can see it happen in real life. And I was just talking to someone the other day and she was telling me it, it feels so small, but she walks her dog every day and there's just this dangerous intersection mm. and she called the city and said hey this is a really dangerous intersection it's near a dark dog park i think so it was difficult for people to get to it and they put a stop sign in oh. and she was like i'm so proud of this stop sign yeah. and it feels so small but it's helping people right it's helping people or go there every morning to walk their dog probably had to wait for all these cars and traffic to pass and then yes. dart across the road so you know, it, it matters. I mean, that's what uh, that's what municipal government's all right. about. It's literally the people co-creating the community where mm-hmm. they live. Ugh, I love that. I love <laughs> that. Okay, so if there's a listener thinking, they hear this, this conversation, this dialogue, and they think, gosh, I want to do better. I want to help reverse climate change or work to create a better democracy, but the problems feel so big and I don't even know where to start. What advice would you have for them? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people get tied up in this analysis, paralysis, whatever you want to call it, a doom, what do they call that, scroll spiral or a scrolling, doom scrolling. Doom scrolling, yeah. Doom scrolling. And I think really the thing you have to do is just do something. Mm-hmm. What, what I've really found is one action leads to another action. Mm. So it doesn't need to be something huge. I try and tell people to start with one small thing you can do and then do the next thing. So I always advise first step, follow the mayor, follow your city council member on social media. Now you're every time you look, you're gonna to start to learn a little bit of information about them or what they're up to that week. And then maybe later down the road, you might invite a friend to attend a city council meeting mm-hmm. and you just go there, you check it out. You don't need to speak, just get a vibe for it. Go out for drinks after, yeah. like down, you know, make an evening out of it. And then maybe a little bit down the road, you, you've been going to the council meeting or you hear something and you see an, a nonprofit organization that you align with and you're like, I'm going to go to their meeting. Mm. Right? Like, I'm going to show up to the Sierra Club's next monthly meeting mm. or Austin Justice Coalition's next monthly meeting because those are the people who know how to do it. Yeah. Like, there's that, like, people are confused and feel like you have to be the expert. Right. You do not have to be the expert. There are people who are super great community organizers who are super great activists and they want to meet you. Yes. <laughs> and so, and they'll teach you all everything that they know and more than you probably ever wanted to know. So if you can just connect with them, um, that's how you can get started. You don't have to read a bunch of books first or listen to a bunch of podcasts or figure it all out. And, and the other thing I always like to tell people is, you're an expert in your own community, right? Like you don't have to be, so have some PhD in climate science to get involved in the climate movement. You know what your neighborhood needs, what it's lacking, and and you can figure it out, right? You don't, and that's what city council needs to hear from you. They have all the data and information. You don't need to like do all this research. What they want to know is how will this proposed policy impact real Austinites? Mm. And if real Austinites have a different idea, maybe you're walking through your neighborhood one day and you think, I don't know, what could we do with that piece of land I've been seeing abandoned for years? You know, what could we do with it? And bring it up to city council. And they don't know. They don't walk your neighborhood every day. And that's what you can really bring to the table. Amazing. A great first step would be following the Austin Common on social that's media. Right. <laughs> and what's the handle? It is the underscore Austin underscore Common. And we provide, we share... Every week we share events that are happening in the community that are a good way to get involved. And that includes a lot of those activist organizations I just mentioned. Their regular monthly meetings, upcoming city council meetings that are important, um, city of Austin public input sessions that are coming up. That's another big one. Usually when the city is working on developing a new policy, they host these public input sessions where the public can come or fill out a survey about it. So we try and share those opportunities as much as possible because you know, the average person isn't just scrolling through the city's website, <laughs> hunting those down. So we'll push them out to you when um, it's important. You do all the legwork for us. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> so this podcast is all about creating dialogue around cultivating the future of Austin, moving it forward, moving it adelante. So if you had a magic wand and could create the Austin of your dreams, when you're just like sitting on your couch and daydreaming about the your perfect city, what does that look like? Oh, man. I think about this all the time. 
<laughs> I think, what if I were queen <laughs> of Austin? What would I want to do? But I mean, so, so many things, but uh, I mean, a few things. One, like our housing situation. Mm. If I could wave a magic wand, I would just have had the city buy up a crazy amount of public land 50 yeah, years ago, I hold know. on to it, <laughs> and build affordable housing for 50% of the residents here. You know, I mean, I think that is our biggest threat mm. right now. Everyone knows it, it's out of control. And we're playing this game of catch up because it's so expensive to buy land and the city has to compete to buy that land now and it's so much more expensive for us to for us to do unfortunately but like a super super charged investment in affordable housing and creative investment in affordable housing i was talking to someone yesterday who said when she first moved to austin in the 70s she lived in a housing co-op i think those kind of options people are so interested in and there's not enough of them here yeah and i also think they kind of speak to the spirit of austin in a lot of ways and if we can build as much of those as possible and be creative and and think about ways to get that done that's a big one i mean with housing i just feel like all ideas need to be on the table and we need to get more creative and figure out a way It, it seems insane to me that in this day and age and with so many other cities having gone through this exact thing that we do not have a solution Mm. like the solutions are out there (laughs) you know we just need to be really make it a a top priority for us as a community so that's a big one and if we're doing that you know we're also buying up every little piece of land for parkland and like 12 more green belts and yes (laughs) as much public land access as we have and and then on the civic side you know i have big dreams i wish city hall was like this magical austin like public party place where people would go to city hall all the time like Mm -hmm. that was a that was something you would just do and there would be an opportunity for it'd be like coffee shop style a little bit or more like lots of different parts like you could walk into any room and it would give you what you wanted (laughs) (laughs) like what's that room in harry potter and the room of requirement in harry potter where it knows what you need Uh when you walk in I would love City Hall to be a <laughs> environment where you, it knows what you need and it gives it to you. Yeah. And it, this, like our residents really feel like they own it and are a part of it mm-hmm. um, in order to create that more welcoming and inclusive democracy. I mean, I think that's the big issue when you, when you walk into these buildings and you feel like you don't belong, you're not going to be inspired to sit there for five hours and share your ideas. Mm-hmm. It needs to be a place... I, I love to tell people, I'm like, this is your building. Like, you own this building. We all own this it's building. True. And and we need to be as if we could make it into like a fun, magical place where we brainstorm creative ideas and come up with solutions instead of like waiting in line forever. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's the dream. I love it. I can see it already. <laughs> Let's make it happen. Yeah. Well, Amy, thank you so much for joining us today. This conversation has been an absolute pleasure. Well, thank you so much for having me. I I love what you all are doing as well. And I I think it's so cool. Like this is still, I know people, like everyone loves the shit on Austin now because it's changing. But this kind of stuff is what I still love about it. And Mm -hmm. I think it's so cool that there are all these creative people out there who have ideas and are talented and creative and interesting and are making it happen. Yes. Like that's what drew me to the city in the first place. And I still think there's a ton of that energy here. We just need to like... Let it fly a little more. Yeah. <laughs> and protect it. Yeah. Make sure it stays it. here. Yeah. Keep Austin weird, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for tuning in for another episode of Adelante ATX. A couple of takeaways that I got from this episode are that environmentalism is more than just protecting trees. It's holistic and all-encompassing. From energy to housing to transit, Being an environmentalist intersects all areas of societal issues. And the second is that you're an expert in your own community. You don't need to have a PhD or be a judge or be a journalist to be able to enact positive change in your own community. Just use the skills that you have, pick a place and start somewhere. 
Action begets action, so you just gotta start. If you enjoyed this podcast, make sure to like and subscribe. Follow us on all socials, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok at Adelante ATX. That is A-D-E-L-A-N-T-E-A-T-X. This episode has been co-produced with Carlos Martinez. I am your host, Daniela Silva, and we'll meet you back here again next week as we discover how to move Austin adelante together. <laughs>